Welcome to Genius Leadership Podcast, where we discuss how to overcome everything as a leader. I'm your host, Anna Liebel, a mind shifter, helping male leaders in tech get out of the firefighting mode, become the proactive leaders they want to be, and enjoy the ride as they go. Join me every week for honest, insightful conversations with corporate, entrepreneurial, and academic leaders. We discuss their roller coaster ride of leading from their zone of genius and when they don't. If you find this show valuable, please subscribe and share it so that more of us can live a healthier and happier life. Now, let's get into the episode. Hey, Genius Leaders, welcome to a guest episode of the Genius Leadership Podcast with the fantastic Almadora Rickardsdotter. She is the co founder and CEO of HEMA which is a social enterprise that helps families organize their household chores and responsibilities. And they are on a journey to make your family life simpler and happier. And with Alma, we are discussing her journey with Hema, why she started that, how is the journey, how has it been so far, what Hema is about, and uh, the main principles that are behind the app idea. They have soft launched it in March this year, and the response so far has been amazing. You'll hear a couple of very fun examples of of how the users are (laughs) getting along (laughs) on that app. And um, I really want you to listen to this, whether you are in a partnership and feel like it's a great partnership already. Like I shared very briefly that that's the case for me and my husband, because Alma says that their goal is to make the household life of um, any family easier, whether you are already feeling fair and equal in your responsibility distribution or not. If you don't feel like you are equal and fair in your relationship, listen in to understand what you could do on either side of this relationship. And if you're not in a relationship at the moment, but you consider that you might be in any time, it could be a, a wonderful way of listening and learning. And also, I believe you can download the app and use it and find value in it for your personal use alone, uh, having it as the mental download or brain dump, as I usually call it, with all the things that are on your mind. So listen in into our conversation with Alma about all things household chores and equality at home and why that matters for equality in the workplace and generally us getting better with our economies and society in general. We're also touching on the topics of investments, how and why should investors work with their female founders, look for them, <laughs> talk to them, and so on. And we also touch topics like hiring women just because they're women. Uh, you will hear a very interesting take on that from Alma when people talk about it. I don't want to be hired just because I'm a woman to fill uh, some quota. There are very different opinions on that, and I really enjoyed and appreciated uh, Alma's take on the topic. So without further ado, enjoy the conversation and see you on the other side. Alma, warmest welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for finding time. And I'm really excited for this conversation because you're doing something amazing and important (laughs) and meaningful and purposeful. (laughs) So I want to hope so. (laughs) I believe in that. So let's just start with what exactly you do, what HEMA is and why you started that company. Yes, absolutely. Um, I think, you know, to completely grasp it, we have to go a little bit back because I was inspired by the work that I was doing previously uh, for the Icelandic government. I was working in four different ministries and uh, go between uh, working on gender equality. 
And it's a very unique opportunity to get to work on your passion, you know, across different ministries. Not a lot of people get to do that, but I got to do that and see it from different perspectives. And one of my roles there was to sort of map out the biggest problems uh, that have to do with gender inequality in Iceland and beyond. And there's this pillar problem that I think I identified on day three or something like that. It's so like, it's so evident and that is unequal division of household work. And it's it's a crazy problem because it's something that everybody is familiar with, but we have a very, very hard time knocking down because it's very cultural, it's very historical, and it has all these layers. But at the same time, it has a lot of effect and a lot of our goals, for example, regarding women in the labor market, equal pay, all of this stuff uh, is directly connected back to this. Because if we expect women to take care of their households and to be sort of the primary parent and all of these things, we are cutting off their time for personal and professional development. And uh, we're also sort of stamping their work as something that should be given for free, something that has less value and such. So I thought this was very fascinating because I have a business background and I had never thought about it this way before. And uh, the idea of Hema came from there because I felt to myself, and I remember even saying this out loud uh, in the prime minister's office where I was working in the, in the office of gender equality. And I was just like, why, why don't we use software to deal with this? And my colleague said something that I thought was quite brilliant. She said, you know, Alma, uh, we just carry it, you know, like on our chest. And uh, there's an Icelandic saying, which is women carry their sadness um, in silence or their sorrow in silence. And I think it's such an important element of this, because if it was the other way around, we would have a software solution that would be used in every single household because men would not accept this. But women sort of just stay up longer. They have the checklist. They remind everybody and they carry it without complaint. So I contacted the best software developer that I knew and still know today, which is my co-founder, Silla. And I, I asked her if she would be interested in mapping out some sort of a software solution with me uh, to this problem. And I remember she said, uh, oh, I was really hoping that you had something like this, <laughs> uh, like an idea like this to work on. So we sat down uh, for coffee, sort of mapped out the basic elements of HEMA, and then we signed up for Good Like If, which is the biggest entrepreneurial competition here in Iceland. And, uh, and we won it, like, honestly, three weeks after the idea is born. So it was... It was very, you know, like crazy. And we got this like very intense proof of concept and a lot of interest. Like, you know, we had hundreds of registrations for a wait list, like straight off the bat. So we were sort of, you know, we jumped into the deep pool right away. But yeah, this is sort of how the idea was born. Now, HEMA is a software solution for families that helps them organize their household chores and mental load in a simple, fun and fair way. And the idea is to use uh, automation to make it so easy to create the lists and maintain them, sort of learn from the family's behaviors uh, that it saves time for the family ultimately. And then gamification to make it very fun, very motivating uh, so that everybody is engaged. And by doing these two things, I believe that we are making technology step into the third shift, into the mental load. Uh, because I'll pause you here. Yeah. The third shift. That might be a new term for my listeners. Can you explain? Yes, absolutely. So um, the third shift is just another word for mental load, actually. They're the same concepts. But the idea of the third shift is that everybody has three different shifts. Every person who has a household to run and a job. And the first job is your paid 
job. That's the first shift. You go and you uh, work somewhere and you get a salary for that. And then the second shift is everything that you do around the house. So, you know, you go and you pick up your kids or you load the dishwasher, you empty the dishwasher, you cook a meal, all of these things. This is the second shift. But in order for the second shift to run, there's a third shift. And the third shift is everything that happens behind the curtain, all of the organizational work, the keeping the responsibility for things getting done. So remembering that, you know, like, ah, oh, we didn't load the dishwasher right away after dinner. We should actually do that before we go to sleep so we don't wake up tomorrow and we don't have any plates. And it's planning out, okay, so this child needs to go this at this time. So you go pick them up and then I go and you go, you know, all of this stuff. And if one person is more responsible for this work, the project management, let's say, of the household than the other, but does help of the second shift as well, the work, the actual physical work, then it's like the manager doing half of the work of the worker, you know. So there's been a lot of talk here in Iceland, especially, but also in the Nordics and on a wider, like, um, global platform about this, uh, because this has been sort of overlooked in this uh, problem of unequal division of household work. And right now there's like, uh, you know, even Hollywood stars like Anne Hathaway and Reese Witherspoon who are talking about this publicly because it's such a, a core problem in our fight against inequality and gender inequality, especially. So yeah, that is what, what that is. And we try to like both think about the physical work that needs to be done the second shift, but also about the third shift. And there are two core concepts in these that I find quite interesting because we've interviewed hundreds of people, obviously, um, to try to get co closer to the core. Like, what is it that families like face? Why is it like this? What are the core like pain points? within households. And uh, they tend to say, you know, like um, that, you know, people who do more in their household, often women, but not always, they say that their partners use the terms, you should have asked me to help and just tell me what to do. And instead of trying to break down, you know, like all the cultural and historical stereotypes, everything, you know, like that I know is very complex, um, having studied gender studies myself, having uh, worked in it so uh, so much, and I also teach it at the university, actually. My idea is that the technology becomes the project manager and women can also just ask, what should I do? Ask me when I should help. And that is sort of what HEMA does. It just takes this enormous responsibility for carrying everything on your shoulders and puts it on your phone. So you know what to do, you know how to do it, you have everything, and it also triggers everybody to participate and makes a game out of it. So you get points for different chores that you do and everything, um, you know, is reminded of so you don't forget about things that are important and rely on one person or another to make sure that everything gets done because that's what the HeyMap is for. I love the idea and it's so important. As you say, a lot of households rely on that third shift yes. done by women. And my experience, uh, my I'm, I'm blessed to have a partner who is super equal and is uber engaged on all levels in our family. But I know a lot of couples where men do not understand the mental workload that it actually entails to have the household running Absolutely. in a smooth way. And as you said, this, this way of saying like, I oh, should have just asked me or what should I do? 
just go and fucking figure out yeah. what to do. <laughs> it's an extra step. <laughs> exactly. And I, I love that you're creating solution exactly for that because this is the this part that is invisible and you making it visible. And just making it visible is the huge step towards solving it. Absolutely. And making people aware that it actually is a problem that needs being solved. And you directly Sorry. provide both the visibility to it and the solution. So thank you for that. <laughs> Thank you. And I think, you know, like the terminology is so important in this because we've seen a shift. We've not been working on this. I mean, we won the Golden Egg almost uh, three years ago now. And the thing is that when we started off, we were always saying, you know, like the mental load, we're solving the mental load. The people didn't know what it was. So we would have to always have a, like a whole slide that would explain what it was. And then uh, last year, I think it was. Um, Iceland's largest labor union, uh, Waffet, they did a campaign about the first, second, and the third shift. And they asked us to be a part of it with them. And we made a deck of cards where you could, you know, like ask questions to your family members about this and sort of realize what, what is a part of the second shift, what is a part of the third shift, all of this stuff. And after this campaign aired in Iceland, it was like people were given a term for a problem that they all knew was there, but they didn't know what it was called, so they couldn't really talk about it. So afterwards, we started doing user interviews and pitches and people would come back at, a, at, at us with things like, yeah, like, I'm very good on the second shift, but my wife does most of the third shift and all of this stuff. And it just changed the dialogue because you can't really solve something that you don't know what is or what it's called. So I, I do think that's very, very important. And also just making it so easy. My dream is that, you know, like, even if you have a very egalitarian relationship, you know, like where you really feel like everything is running smoothly, that HEMA can still make your life simpler because, you know, we shouldn't have to spend one to five hours a day, you know, like on all of these different responsibility work that happens around the house. Is it really up to five hours? Yes. And uh, women do 75% of it. So it's, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a big portion of all of that. But of course, it, it varies. It's not uh, it's not the same across like different countries and parts of the world, obviously. But yeah, it's, it's somewhere between there. <laughs> you used the word fair at some point, and I, I want to discuss this fair and equal. Yeah, whether you distinguish between them, because there is this book, Fair Play. <laughs> Yeah, I guess you get some inspiration from that and Absolutely. the card game that is based on that and, and things like that. But could you talk about that distinct distinction between the terms? Absolutely. Um, so for us, I mean, it's well, for me, as somebody who has specialized in gender equality, uh, it's a lot about uh, what is fair and what is just. So you're thinking about how to, because if everybody gets the same things, not necessarily everybody can, I don't remember the terms actually, was fair and just, equal and, I don't know, it's a picture with the boxes. Mm -hmm. Have you seen this? Where there are three guys and they have three different heights and they have yeah. to see above yeah, yeah. a fence. To the, to the management, yeah. the first level to the management. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And they all get a box of the mm -hmm. same size and mm -hmm. the tallest one, like, they need the box, mm -hmm. so, like, he doesn't even use it. And then the short guy, he needs a bigger box, so he can't... Mm -hmm. uh, he can't see either. Mm -hmm. So, you know, within the government work that I was doing, we we're always trying to establish this understanding that um, maybe equality is more, it's equality and equity. Those were the two mm -hmm. terms, equality and equity, because equality is everybody gets the same and equity is everybody gets what they need to be able to have the same opportunities. And I think this is very important also in this discussion between 
uh, fair and equal. And actually why we are trying to use more fair uh, in our vocabulary regarding him is because equal and equality can be a little bit of a trigger word to some people who don't really understand what gender equality or feminism or such things are about. And we don't want that to become like a central element in the discussion because obviously by balancing uh, the work at home, we will have a huge impact on gender equality. But people don't necessarily want to invest in that. They want to invest in the happiness and the balance and the fairness within their families. And we believe that fairness is something that people can understand very easily and digest well, uh, along with the concept of happiness, which is something that we think a lot about because good collaboration within families actually increases, increases family happiness and releasing the tension that comes with organizing without using software, the household work, that gives families more happiness and more sort of time for quality moments and all of that. So this is why we use fairness. But obviously, equality is very, you know, like closely knit to it and equity as well. But mostly it's about having a division that you have talked with your partner about and everybody is happy with. And for me, it doesn't matter if it's 50-50 or 70-30 or whatever it is. And actually, it should swing like back and forth because we're not always in the best mood. We're not always, you know, in the best balance. And sometimes, you know, you have a hard time or you're traveling a lot for work and then your partner has to come in and like step up and then the other way around or one of you gets sick. But you have to work as a team. And in order to do that and do that effectively, it's good to have a tool where you can actually like have transparency about who does what and how it's valued and how, you know, how you contribute and also a platform where you can actually complement each other and, mm-hmm. and value each other's work. So, so I think that is, <laughs> yeah, you have some compliments in the system built in in HEMA. Well, it's not there right now, but it will be definitely. Mm-hmm. But also just, you know, knowing that people have been doing stuff because we have heard a lot of stories. We've heard it all pretty much at this point. And there's a lot of people who actually wait with tasks that are invisible, like dusting and stuff like that. Because if your spouse is not looking at you while you do it, it didn't happen. So maybe you spent an hour dusting everything and, you know, they don't appreciate it. So you wait until they get home to dust. But if you put it in him, you don't need to do that. They can see it. Um, so there's something about the visibility that also just gives you an opportunity or like a trigger to be appreciative. You, you mentioned this uh, with the feminism that the, the world is sometimes misunderstood and I have seen that. Yeah. Uh, I've been doing some project in Ukraine for promoting gender equality among the media or giving the journalists and activists tools and terms to work with to actually promote gender equality in the society. And I faced that reaction of some people looking at me like, are you a feminist? And almost suddenly being scared of me just like and talking to me freely a moment ago and just like turning absolutely around and and I understand that there is this perception of feminism or feminists as some angry girls running around hating men and stuff like that and that scares off people Mm -hmm. and I think this is the same with the with the topic that we're discussing here when we talk about the equality within household I could imagine that men listen to that and they get scared of that because they're like, oh, now I'll need to do stuff that I'm not good at or or things like that. Can we address that? Can we somehow soften this transition? And you already started talking about that. That That's why it's important to use the word fair because that fairness depends on a couple. Every couple can decide it for themselves. Yeah. But how can we make it even easier for 
those partners, I'm not going to say men, but those partners who are taking less of the third shift at the moment or none of it to start easing into that? I think here there are two answers. And it's very funny because I studied two completely different things, you know, like business on one hand and then gender equality on the other hand. And obviously, you know, when you talk about gender equality, terminologies are very important. And, you know, like explaining why we use the word feminist instead of egalitarian or whatnot. But the business part of me is very fixed on the idea that um, what I try to do is to deliver value. And in my eyes, the essence of and the being of gender equality has enormous value for us as individuals and as society, obviously. So in order for me to deliver that value to people, even if they're scared of it or they don't realize that they need it, I'm absolutely up for making that compromise of not using certain words that trigger and focusing actually on what it is that people experience regardless of if they understand the cause or not. Like, you know, things like strengthening your relationship or, you know, like having less nag and less tension and less conflict in your relationship. Um, a happy wife, a happy life, you know, like all of this stuff. <laughs> people generally want that. And I think... So far, it hasn't been a big problem convincing people who are or identify as feminist or, you know, like think about this stuff or looking for solutions like this to actually be a part of it. They come running, uh, but they all talk about their friends who are afraid and who are like not really, you know, like into this whole thing and they're going to get exposed. But the thing is, unequal, unequal division of household work is the third most common reason for divorce. Your spouse realizes if you're not pulling your weight in the household. And if they're unhappy about it, even if they're not saying anything about it, it's probably better to be proactive about it than to just sit there comfortably until you know they explode. So I think for me, what we are trying to do at Hema is to create value for families. And that is what we're going to do. And we're not too preoccupied. Like, you know, I specialized in business and social entrepreneurship. And for me, gender equality being woven into the DNA of my company is everything. It's essential because I consider it a social enterprise. But that means that no matter how you package it up, you can't take it away. You can't compromise the social element of it for financial profit or something else. Because by doing what we're doing, we are going to advance gender equality and create a better world for future generations. So. We are solving pain points of families. We are solving the problems of families and delivering them value. And first, we are seeing a wave of first movers who are people who are very, very, you know, like aware of the problem and want to improve. And a lot of men, actually, who are very vocal and they're very excited. And they are sort of like the ones who are pushing for the solution in their household, which is very interesting. But it's they're very vocal, but there may be 20% of the whole group, you know. So we're seeing that. And we're using this, you know, like support of the first movers that we're having, those who really get it, um, to build something that really delivers value. And then we want to promote it to the masses so we can actually create value among those who might not understand the purpose as well. Could you talk a bit about those vocal men you said who are super active and, and uh, want to uh, yes. implement this uh, HEMA solution in their <laughs> household? What are they talking about? What are they... Uh, what kind of language are they using? What are the arguments that they're actually using to support the idea? Yeah, it's been very interesting for us because for the longest time, we didn't really have a product. We were talking about the idea and we were developing the product behind the curtain. 
And we've had like an Instagram page and a wait list and an email and some stuff like this. And they've been like very active sending us and asking when the solution is going to come and that they're excited. And I've been stopped at the gym and in the shopping mall, you know, like the people who have noticed me and been like, hey, when is it coming? And most of those are men. Like, so in our wait list, we had 80% women and we had 20% men. But usually when people were like asking or pushing for the solution, those were the men. And I think those, like what these men have in common is that they are in an active dialogue with their partner about these things. Uh, they want to be good role models for their children. Uh, they don't want to treat their children uh, differently based on sex. And they, you know, they want to be better than maybe the previous generation. Uh, they're hearing the dialogue around the second and third shift, and they don't want to be that guy but they don't know how to break it down because they've been raised in a society that raised me and you. And, you know, like it's just the same principles, but just from the other side. So they don't want to be a burden. They don't want to be like a teenager in their relationship. They want to be an equal partner, but it's very hard to break it down. So that is why I think they were so excited about getting something like Hema that really like brings things from under the surface. Um, so you can go one by one and see what is getting done and organize a new way of doing things. Appreciate everything that your partner does and uh, just make sure that you're being an equal partner. Yeah. You soft-released the app recently. So how yes. was the first response? Was it as you expected or are the customers coming back with <laughs> some feedback that you didn't expect? Or how do you see the usage of the, is it as you expected or there are some surprises there? It's been insane. It's been <laughs> it's been way crazier than I thought it was. <laughs> I guess we literally positively or positively, yes. Awesome. Like we didn't think it would be this good. Actually, I had it written down somewhere in my book. Like I really hope Bulgarian get to like one thousand users. We we broke that in like forty eight hours. It was like it's just been growing and growing and growing and growing. We've gotten over a hundred emails with like feedback and feature requests. And what's interesting about it is that. They're hitting the points that we really thought, you know, were going to come. Like what was on our feature list has all been requested. And we're just collecting like how many are requesting and then we prioritize by that what we can do, which is really, really, really cool. And I mean, it's been six weeks now and we still get emails every single day. Um, people are using it. They're coming back every day. There are families who are continuously using it and getting value out of it. <laughs> yeah and we're getting emails like where they're saying like our teenager thinks it's cool which i thought was really funny and i was like what really <laughs> that was not what i was expecting but well, that's yeah. very nice and yeah it's i think it's having an impact and i mean like in the end that's all that we wanted to do and now if we can build on top of it uh, and make something that is useful to more people um, and I've always said, like, yeah, we could launch it and we could, you know, like share it with uh, 1,200 people or whatnot that were on our wait list. Or we can continue working and dedicate the next five, 10 years to this and make sure that it gets to a million pockets and uh, changes the way that we organize things around the house. And that sort of vision has driven our team to, to do amazing things. And it's very nice to see how much people are rallying around us. They are really, really excited and, you know, like up for giving feedback. And a lot of people like we have software developers who are like, hey, I decided to go through your like login or go through this and this and here's my feedback. And they're just like doing this on their own time and without being asked. 
just because we launched and we said that we were open to feedback and we actually we got a request to have a feedback feature within the app mm. to make it easier for people to give feedback that was one of the feedback that was very popular <laughs> in the beginning so that was something we didn't think necessarily would happen but apparently that can happen somebody called it the best idea since sliced bread which i think is really really very big words <laughs> that <laughs> so, is really <laughs> so yeah it's been it's been going absolutely insanely well and we're very happy about it and i mean yeah we soft launched we let our like waitlist know it was very important to me we had promised them they would be the first ones and i was asked to do a little interview and i was like okay we have to we have to launch to them first we have to let them know it's out and our software developer he called me and he was like do something like the whole thing is like crashing because <laughs> there was so much traffic so we hit some limits that we had set and stuff like this. My CEO, like my co-founder and CTO, she had to like get back from lunch to make sure that like everything was up to to date and stuff like that. So it was it was very cool. And then we did yeah one small interview, big interview with like a proper news outlet, another small interview, and that's everything that we've done. And yeah, we have you know thousands of families now who are using it. You know, some of them every single day, every single week. And yeah, we're still getting a lot of feedback. So it's been going pretty, pretty good. Fantastic. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. I'd like to maybe sell the idea of Hema a bit more to the audience if they haven't yes. yet, or if they feel like, okay, I'm not ready to download the app and start working, <laughs> but I want to learn more a bit about yes. how we can be a better partner at home. So could we just give a couple of suggestions, those easy things that people usually take for granted or don't even think about, but getting becoming aware of them can actually make a difference in a relationship yes i think it's a lot about it's the same principle as in business that you should never just do business as usual and i think a lot of times we get stuck in a routine that we're not necessarily happy about because it's just business as usual and there are two sides of this the primary homekeeper needs to make space for the secondary homekeeper to make mistakes and to uh, do things maybe not up to par to what they can do. And sometimes I like to say, tell, tell the story that I used to have a boyfriend once who used to say that I was better than him at, at washing dishes. And I thought it was very interesting because, you know, like, okay, what does that mean? Does it mean that I should do it all the time? Or does it mean that I should step back so you can learn how to become as good as me? So there are two sides of this and you won't become good at anything unless you practice. And women are not naturally better at washing dishes. We know this. We're not born with this skill above anybody else. Are you sure, Alma? <laughs> it's in our mind. Um, <laughs> from my uh, professional <laughs> experience. No. Uh, and uh, so that's one side of it. The other side is um, to the secondary homekeepers, often men, sometimes not. Uh, you can do hard things. And uh, don't just do the fun stuff. Sometimes do the boring stuff. Uh, you don't want to be like a teenager in a relationship with your partner. And that is what you are if you are not participating fully. So have a discussion with your partner, even if it's hard, because you are going to get a way better quality of a relationship from it. And there's so many things about it. Uh, I was on a podcast the other day and we were like, we're talking about intimacy and how, you know, like this connects straight back to intimacy. And she was making fun of it that, you know, like some men would be like absolutely terrible and taking part in the housekeeping. And then they would come back home and be like, hey, let's have sex. And you're like, well, okay, you know, 
I don't really see you as a partner right now because you're not helping me with the stuff around the house. So I think your relationship and the happiness and the balance within your household is very interrelated to how well you do collaborating and delegating work around the house. So investing time in having the discussion and actually doing a little bit more if you're doing a little bit less is going to give you so many great things. So the reward is big and um, you're missing out if you're not, you know, investing in it. That's what I would say. In regards to HEMA, HEMA makes it very, very easy for you to keep an overview of everything that needs to get done around the house. It's very simple. Right now, it's still the first version and we're making it better, but it gives you the opportunity to divide work into routine tasks, stuff that happens like every single week. And then you have like your to-do list. Everybody within the family uh, gets points for each chore that they do. And you put a weekly goal. So for example, I try to do 25 tasks a week or 25 points. Now, some tasks can be three points and some can be one point, depending on the size of them. Who decides, the app or the family? The family decides. Mm -hmm. Uh, But hopefully we will be able to implement some AI, so it will be a little bit smarter in the future. But right now you can decide for yourself. The basic is one point per task, but you can then edit it from one to three. And then you see the family scoreboard, so you can see how everything is divided. And in my experience, this has been like a fun little game for people, especially if you're competitive with your spouse or with your children. You know, like it's it's been very funny. Toilets have been cleaned many times a day. You know, <laughs> like there's been a lot of funny stuff happening. And just seeing it, you know, encourages you to do better. So if you see your spouse, you know, like racing ahead of you, you actually try and you go and you do more. We've seen a lot of funny stories about that. So. It's really not a chore. That was the thing that came to my mind right now. Uh, no pun intended, but it's uh, <laughs> it's more like a little fun game uh, to see and collect points. And you can, you know, you can set rewards for your kids. It's not inside the app yet, but it's going to be. And a lot of people are just doing it organically. So they're setting like, okay, if you finish your 25 points, you get your weekly allowance or whatnot mm. um, and things like this. So it's nice. And I know I'm like... I'm, I'm not uh, neutral in this situation, but we've gotten a lot of very, very cool feedback from very diverse families. So I'd say try it and um, and see if it's something for you. And if not, uh, send us an email uh, to hello at heymap.is and we will see what we can do because we're still making it. We're still trying to find this core value and how we can actually make life easier for as many families as possible. And that is our promise. That is what we're going to do. And that's what we're working on. So, yeah, if you love it, that's great. If you don't, let us know why and we will see. But also let let, let you know if the people love it. Yeah, if you love it. Yeah. If if you love it, let other people know. (laughs) That's a good point. (laughs) Can anyone download it? Because I know that you're focusing right now to just nailing everything down here in Iceland as a test market. But can anyone go on the App Store and download it wherever in the world? Or how is that? It's not completely open everywhere in the world. I don't have an accurate list over where it's open and where it's not, but it is accessible in both English and Icelandic. So it should be open as such. And we do take requests. So if people ask us to open a set of certain markets, we, we open it or make it as accessible both on App Store and uh, Play Store. The thing is there's something something with scammers and stuff like that that has to be monitored. So we do this manually instead of just opening everywhere. But in many countries, especially within Europe, the US, it's open. Yeah, and in a little bit more diverse space. 
well, we've opened in very random countries when people have to send us a line. So it's, uh, <laughs> like I say, the more feedback we get, the more we try to edit and respond. So genius leaders do voice, <laughs> like let your voice be heard because that's yes. really important. <laughs> I would like to go a bit into your own journey mm. while developing the app. It went so quickly in the beginning, as you said. You just sit down <laughs> in a cafe, at a cafe, sketch the idea. Three weeks later, you win the biggest competition here in Iceland for the innovation. You get the eyeballs on you because that is really the result <laughs> of that. And you're still both working full time. Yes. And you start developing the app or building a company from mm -hmm. there. And then for, for two years, you've been doing that. And then a year ago, you left the work. C can you walk us through that? Journey. The journey, yeah, the, the period. Yes, absolutely. Um, so if we take one more step back, Silla and I actually, uh, we went to like kindergarten together and elementary school. So we go like way back. But we were reunited um, in the US because we both lived in Boston for a while in um, 2019, 2020, I think. And we were both sort of like there we were talking about, you know, like she was studying technical entrepreneurship, I was studying social entrepreneurship and I was working with a VC and she was doing her degree at this time. And we were like talking about how we really wanted to do something like this. And then we both have to move on because of COVID. So we did that in the beginning of 2020. And then, you know, like there was a little bit of a struggle, you know, like getting a job. She was finishing her degree remotely, all of this stuff. So in the fall of 2020, when we went good like gift. I had just recently taken on like a big project uh, with the government and she was finishing her degree and had been offered a new job. Verna, which is a car insurance company, making their mobile app. So it wasn't really in the picture to just jump right into what we were doing, even if it was received so well. And we knew that we would need to get a little bit of money to be able to quit our jobs. We would need to get a little bit more proof of concept, make some sort of prototype and do all of these like initial steps. So what we did was that in the beginning of 2021, we signed up for a startup accelerator, which is called Startup Social or Snjatlade here in Iceland. And I did that in the beginning of 2021. Then, uh, While still working full time. Yes. And studying at this time too. So, you know, it's, uh, it's always the combination of things. So you don't sleep? No, not at that time. <laughs> Uh, but I was, I was realizing that, you know, like if you wanted, if I wanted to do the startup journey, I would have to sort of strip off everything else. Mm -hmm. Uh, because I think that, you know, if you channel all of your energy into one thing, you can make it a lot greater than if you channel it into 10 different things. And this was as somebody who likes to multitask and do a lot of different stuff. Uh, this was very hard for me. I'd never been this person. I'd always been like, you know, working and studying and volunteering and traveling and all of this stuff at the same time. But when we got more and more into HEMA, uh, we realized that in order we would have, in order for it to work, we would have to give it our all. And now 2021 passes and we're applying for grants. Uh, we're applying for different things. We are, you know, like pitching a lot and making the big grant applications. Like here in Iceland, uh, we have the Technological Development Fund. And in the fall of 2021, we got that, actually. So this is where we knew that we could actually quit our jobs and do this full time. And that was our timeline, actually, to have 2021 to sort of map things out. And then in the beginning of 2022, that we would um, go into it full time. And uh, we did that. We also got some other grants and different things. Uh, we quit our jobs before Christmas. And then we like worked our, you know, like the 
the rest of months that we had worked there. We started in March, on the 1st of March, uh, 2022. So it's just been one year now that we've been working full-time. And the difference between Silla being able to program in the weekends and the evenings and being able to do it full-time, and also I was writing applications and stuff like this, but I was also writing in my day job, so it was really, really hard. We always had meetings on Saturdays here in Groska, actually. And when we did the last Saturday meeting, it was it was like the best moment. You know, like we were all just like there cheering See for it. Yeah. yeah, exactly. No, because it it can be very intense to do it on top of like a full-time job. And like Silla was programming during the day, making an app and then making our app in the evening. And it was just, yeah, kind of a chaos. But because of that fund uh, or the... Uh, the financing that we got from from the fund, we were able to go full time, and we were making a prototype. We did a lot of beta testing, especially around last summer. We're growing our wait list. We're pitching around, talking to a lot of investors, uh, raising around. And um, in the end of 2022, we got an angel investment from two very prominent angels here in Iceland, which is really really cool, and we're very happy about. Um, so that gave us a lot of more like financial stability and ability to like look forward and uh, and sort of put everything into the product development. We have uh, another programmer who has been working with us as well. He was working 30%, now he's working 50% with us, which has made a lot of difference as well. Um, and we launched in the end of March. So that is pretty much the timeline. But it seems like a long time, but actually it isn't that long if you think about it. Because how many evenings and Saturdays do you have to work for a full work week? It's it's quite a lot, actually. But we've done a lot. We've raised a lot of like non-diluted grant funding. We raised the intro round. And now we have launched our product. So I'm very proud of the work that we've done, what we managed to do in this time. And um, I used to work for the Ministry of uh, Industry and Innovation, um, uh, looking at how funding like startup funding is different from for men and women and it's this thing that women being like a primary parent and we talk about women being like risk averse and all of this stuff but the thing is that it all connects back to if you're the primary parent you're not going to quit your job to do a startup and i mean Silla and i we don't have families or children but Still just having to pay your mortgage, having to, you know, like sponsor yourself and not moving back in with your parents, you know, like it's 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 challenging. So I can see why it's not for everybody to do this. And it's so sad because I think there are so many ideas out there. And especially because we're a team of women who are making a solution for women's problems, let's say. Everybody's problems, family problems, but mostly women's problems, 75%. And I think there's a lot of ideas out there for minorities, not just women, but like immigrants and different people who don't have the opportunities to go and live with their parents and, you know, like eat noodles for two and a half years to do this. And I think a lot of people give up before getting to the point that we're at now. And we're just, we're just beginning. I mean, like there's so much in store for us and people have batted on us and believed in us. And now we can actually make something out of it, which we really couldn't before. Um, and we, for example, we got to know our investors at a startup event, which was in Helsinki last year. And uh, we only did that because we were actually like pushed to spend the last money that we had on the bank account of the company to go there, which is, you know, like insane. Oh, the mighty slush, I suppose. Yes, <laughs> the mighty slush. Um, so stuff like this, you know, like how are you supposed to do this if you don't have any funding, if you don't have any support, if people don't believe that 
what you're solving is actually solving a problem, all of this stuff. So, yeah. I'm thinking a lot about the investments, right? It, yeah. We know those numbers, 1%, 2% of uh, venture capital at least goes into the uh, female found team, teams and up to 10% or so mixed teams. And I understand, of course, that we're talking that it's not a pipeline uh, issue and so on. If you open your eyes and you actively look for them and you're actually putting yourself like, hey, we're giving money <laughs> to everyone <laughs> for a good idea, not for a good idea by a man, uh, that solves part of that. But I'm just also thinking about it. We women think differently. We create businesses differently. Absolutely. So maybe we actually naturally don't want to go and get investment as often. What are your thoughts on that? I've never voiced it before, but I'm just thinking that maybe, maybe that is also part of why, why we got, don't go for the investment. I mean, I think it might be. I think both, of course, if you've always been told that it's not an option for you or you have a 1% chance in achieving, it's really funny. I'm a little bit like ignorant towards this. This has never bothered me, but I know that it bothers other people. That, you know, like, you know, your shot isn't great. So why would you put everything, like all of your money on that uh, square? So maybe that's why you wouldn't go for it or you would try to find other ways of doing it. Um, also, women tend to define value differently than men. So you might want to do something that is more communal, uh, maybe more something that, you know, like has to do with your your close community and it's not going to scale and stuff like this. So it doesn't like hit the boxes of uh, venture capitalists and other funds. So I think there might be a lot of like things like this in the nature of what women do. And also I did um, a study when I was back at school where I was surveying women uh, who were studying business about uh, the importance of female role models. It was very interesting. It was like, well, it was 10 years back almost. And uh, just for fun, I asked, like, if there were no obstacles, what would be your dream job? Just, you know, like a funny addition to the survey. And I think there was somewhere like between two and 300 people who answered it, who were studying business at the University of Iceland. And the majority is women, actually, who study, who study this. And a lot of people wrote CEO, but none of them were women. So women would write, I want to become a middle manager or I want to become something, you know, like marketing manager, something like, I don't know, not the top position. So I thought this was very interesting. I think this would be very interesting to like go into more depth with. But regarding, you know, investing in women as such, I think that you always think about who is a successful entrepreneur. And then, you know, like the investors, their role is to identify potential and uh, try to make a calculated decision on who to invest in, who not to invest in. And of course, you do that based on who has succeeded in the past. But the thing is, in entrepreneurship, that doesn't really work because you never know what's going to be the biggest hit. And I sometimes say it's not, a, it's not like a funnel pro problem. It's a cookie cutter problem that a lot of times... I would come into a meeting and they would try to like stuff me into the cookie cutter of Mark Zuckerberg. And I'm like, I, I, I don't look like that. I'm not like that. I don't behave like that. You know, I'm never going to fit your cookie cutter. And then it just gets disregarded. Like they don't think that maybe you're your own cookie cutter. And by disregarding the ideas and, you know, like the thoughts and potential of women in entrepreneurship, I think we're missing out. We're missing out on like a lot of ideas. We're missing out of 
on a lot of probably like unicorn level companies that could be amazing um, by sort of filtering them out based on how they measure against what is currently hot and what is currently happening and all of this stuff. So that is another thing. And, uh, and if we bring it back to women, if we don't see women building unicorn companies, we're not going to imagine ourselves doing it. So if you can't see it, you won't be it. So it's, it's this kind of stuff. And I have my own podcast where I interview women in entrepreneurship because I think it's so important that, you know, like you have the whole flora in there. And sometimes people suggest to me that I should interview men. And I'm like, we don't need that. We have like a ton of interviews with men. Like this is my not... podcast is mainly male. Yeah. But it's because I work with them and I just want to have different kind of conversations with them. And, but, but that's that's all also, fine. It's just <laughs> podcast friends who 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 are male and they're mainly interview women because they want yeah. to bring their voices to their own audience. So exactly. I think there is a purpose for everything here and uh, the space for everything. Yeah. I think definitely, yeah. And men do amazing things, and I think it's also important. And we emphasize on this a lot with him actually that it's easy to get dragged into these spaces where there are only women. And you only have women friends within the sector. And I don't think that's necessarily great. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's good that like we support each other and that there are women here and like we have an open space for women. We can be visible as women in entrepreneurship, but we can learn a lot from each other regardless of gender and regardless of how long far ahead we are and, uh, mm-hmm. and what we're doing, sectors, all of this stuff. So I think diversity is... It's so important also when building your own personal network. So if something is missing, I think we should shine a light on it just to make sure that it's included in the flora. But yeah, I have great friends who are men who are doing this and who are around that really sounded like when, when men are trying to convince people that they're not sexist and they're like, I have a wife. Like, <laughs> I have male friends in entrepreneurship. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I'm just going to leave it at that. <laughs> yeah, I... Um, I'm holding masterminds for for my podcast guests. So I just invite previous guests of of the show. And I had one more yesterday. Like It has become a tradition this year. And it was beautiful to see uh, there were people from several different countries, people of very different ages, different generations. And for me, the the biggest beauty was how one of the uh, guests, Brian, he's been in entrepreneurship for over 40 years building businesses, turning around businesses as CEO, investor, board member, and so on. And he was the first one to go. So I, I went into alphabetic order because I just yeah. opened up the space and like, what's on your mind? Where can I help you? And it was so amazing for me to see how we actually could help this guy with 40 <laughs> years of experience more than I have been living on this earth. We just with our questions, with us mirroring, reflecting to him, giving some suggestions, sharing our experiences with him. He was just like, okay, I'm changing this business idea. Because he was like, okay, I'm building this new business for myself. I want to play with that space. But this is my concern. Yeah. And he, by the end, he was like, I'm, I'm changing the business idea. And I was like, whoa, cool. <laughs> we managed to help him to align to his values and his like how, how he actually wants to have the business and like going away from the definitions of success that are pushed on us by the media nowadays. So it, it is value, right, of being different in the room and, and sharing with each other, whether it is gender, uh, whether it is the uh, nationality, whether it is just kind of our experience and yeah. anything. Yeah, no, that's so true. It's super valuable. That's really cool. Just a question to can, like, finish up with the investors. We mm-hmm. talked now a bit about that. 
um, what do you think can investors do better to not try to cookie cut female founders? I think they can be more accessible to women. I think they can promote in different ways and be visible in different spaces where women are. So I think I think that and in all regards of diversity, like if you if you see that you're not connecting with a certain group of people, put in more effort to connect with these people. And I think walk your talk when you say you invest in founders, because everybody says so, but then they have some sort of, you know, like a formula on how to identify a good founder. So if you believe that investing is more about emotional intelligence than, you know, like hitting the boxes, then maybe your decision should be more emotional than actually, you know, just based on statistics. And if you're so like caught up in basing it on statistics, also include things like research about how women founded businesses are more likely to make more money and that women are better managers than men. Somehow we don't include this when we are making some sort of a statistical decision about funders. And I get it a lot because I love talking about this actually. And uh, <laughs> and a lot of people will say, I don't invest in women just to invest in women. Why not? I mean, if I tell you that investing in women is a good idea because research A, B, C, D, E here, why wouldn't you be like, okay, this company has a female CEO. I know that statistically they're more likely to succeed. I will give them a point for having a female CEO. But somehow this is a taboo. It's the same when, you know, you hire people and they say, I don't want to hire you just because you're a woman. Well, you've been hiring a lot of people just because they're men for a very long time. So why would that be a problem? And I think it's really funny. I mean, never think about this with men. Like, I think it would be very funny to go around and be like, oh, do you realize you were just hired because you are a man? Like, because the the person hiring you looked at you and saw a younger version of himself and decided to give you an opportunity. We don't We don't consider this to be like... A, a gender bias, but it is. It's all the same. So I think good founders are everywhere. And um, I don't think necessarily what identifies one good entrepreneur at one point in time is what's going to identify the next generation of entrepreneurs. So unicorns are not founded by the same uh, profile of people. It's just not how it works. And we know this. And I think that if we would sort of do a little bit of work and try to be more inclusive and more diverse in the way we invest, we would not be seeing these 90 plus percent flush down the toilet of all the money that is being invested statistics <laughs> because we would be putting our eggs in uh, more diverse baskets, mm-hmm. some in baskets, some in boxes, some in bowls, some in, you know, all of that stuff. Uh, so those are my five cents, I think about how to be more accessible and think about it a little bit differently. What do you think about uh, uh, what we as women, female founders can do to make that easier as well? Because I I see a lot of profiles uh, of founders who who don't want to be featured in the magazines as the female entrepreneur or don't want to be a speaker just because they're a female entrepreneur and, you know, we need to raise the percentage of how many female entrepreneurs are talking on the stage. So they say no to those um, just because they feel like they are there as representative of our vagina, excuse me, uh, <laughs> not because of their brilliance. So where do you stand on there? Do, do we 
do justice by doing that? Is that helping us to move forward? I think it might be like a confidence issue more than anything else, because I know I am amazing. I'm an amazing speaker, honestly. And I'm not just bragging or something. I'm really great. And I know so many great women who are entrepreneurs and whatnot. If somebody invites me to come and speak and I get the feeling that it's just because I'm a woman, it's their lucky day because they're going to get a very good speaker who's doing something really cool. So I want to know why women or anybody would not want an opportunity because of this. Would, would, would it not be a self-confidence issue? Because at least for me, and I think like this is actually like one of my values a little, yeah, yeah, I would say one of my values. I believe in making society a better place. And I believe in people doing good and kind things. But I don't necessarily care where good comes from. So if you can have an impact by doing something that, you know, like wasn't necessarily the best way of getting there or whatnot, you should take the opportunity and make the world just a little bit better, have a little bit of an impact on that group. And I think everybody will be better for it. And then maybe you can be the one who breaks the pattern. So you came in, you did a talk or an interview or whatnot. You were so great that they will call you again. They will ask, do you have somebody to recommend? I think we all have a role in sort of breaking down stigmas or like outdated ideas about this. And I think actually like a lot of the time it's just about you know, like people being lazy, looking outside of their networks for people who are different than their center profile. Because if you need a woman who is a specialist at anything to come uh, for an interview here in Iceland, you can talk to the Women's Association in Business and they will give you a list. They have lists and they have training for the women like and stuff like this. So it's it should be super accessible to do that. But I don't really mind. If somebody hires me for a job because I'm a woman, they're a very lucky employer. Like they should have done it way earlier because they probably missed out on a lot of great women by having the other way or having it the other way around, you know, like, so sometimes reverse gender bias can actually be balancing out the previous gender bias that was just in the other direction. Yes. I think it's a step that we need to take right now. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Just to come to some equilibrium, we do need to go a bit maybe overboard to yeah. the other extreme just to... Even out the playing field. Yes, and absolutely. That's that's what we're doing on so many levels. And HEMA is one of the <laughs> ways to do it. So thank you so much for creating it. Yeah. On my end, thanks for this interview. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you. Me too. Thank you for having me. And to you, Genius Leaders, thank you so much for listening. And if you need this reminder today, I feel you. I see you. I love you. And let's go and do something good in this world and make this world a little bit better today. See you next time. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Genius Leadership Podcast. If you enjoyed the conversation, hit the subscribe button. Please rate, review, and share to help more people discover the show and become the better leaders. For more conversations about living in your zone of genius, connect with me on LinkedIn. Genius Leadership is an honors conversation about leading yourself and others. And it is my honor to be a guide in overcoming everything. <laughs>